Hey, listeners, Joe LaChulio here. Thanks for tuning in. And as a special thanks, we're going to answer some questions from you, the fans. Nine, nine. Welcome to a bonus edition of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast. I'm Mark Evan Jackson. I play Kevin. We wanted to turn our attention to you, the viewer, and answer some of your questions. In this episode, you'll hear a little from everyone, gain some insights and advice, and get the answers to some of Twitter's burning questions. Our first question is for Dan Gore. In the pilot, what was Jake and Amy's first scene? And was there instant chemistry? I believe Jake and Amy's first scene was the cold open. I think we actually did that shoot that was the first thing first. they shot? I feel like we did. Does that, make, does that ring a bell to you? I can't remember. Um, I thought that they had chemistry right off the bat, but we also didn't want to force anything. And so we really took things very slow and allowed the chemistry to play out. But clearly by the time we did the date, we were very confident that they had chemistry. Yeah. And I think their she's, chemistry has just gotten better and better. She's such, yeah. she's, she's so also great. an improv star. Yeah. yeah. So she can really just like roll with um, Andy in a way that a lot, probably a lot of actors. Yeah, she got the role because in her improv, she she was the only person who improvised with him, and then she got the blow to their scene. She said the thing that was so funny that we were like, oh, all right, wow. end scene. Will we ever meet Hercules? Oh, my God. Had we not Hercules. so much time pitching on Hercules. Oh, I love Hercules. Did we never meet Hercules? We never met him, right? No. Just his... Um, just thank you to whoever asked that. I think that that will motivate us to maybe meet no. Hercules. Hercules. Yes. So funny. When Charles lived in their basement apartment. <laughs> yeah. And Hercules was his... And he, like, liked Hercules. He, like, he did. Oh, we were nice stuff about Hercules. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very, very good man, Hercules. I believe we never met Hercules. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's going to be great casting. I wonder if we thought of that as a Manzoukas part, and then we decided... Oh, really? Rock. The Rock would be so yeah, the funny. Rock would be. Or Jason Momoa. Melissa Fumero, what is a line reading? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the cast actually knows how much I hate them. <laughs> um, and I, I try, I try not, I try to control my face when someone gives me a line reading because. Does it happen? It does. Okay. I think it does. I think there are, I think, here's the thing. I hate them so much. Pardon but me. I, Sorry. We should define it. Oh, yes. We should define it. Sorry. I got sidetracked per usual. Um, so a line reading is when a director doesn't know how to uh, basically articulate a note and they tell you your line how they hear it, how they think you should do it. They demonstrate it. They demonstrate yeah. <laughs> your job for you. Yeah. <laughs> they and, take away your art. Well, you know, the reason I hate it is I, whenever it happens, the first thing I think is I still don't know what you want. Right. I still don't know what intention you're telling me to put, like what about it is different yeah. other than just imitate what you just did. Right. And then I feel like I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. Sure. It just confuses me and it's, uh, it makes it's me really frustrated. a pretty gross insult in the arts, in, yeah. in the I acting mean, world. It happens though. Oh, it does happen. Yeah. But I, pre I do, I will admit that there are times when it's like a certain little thing, especially in comedy sometimes, yeah. like sometimes just like going up at the end of the line, like helps, like sure. weird little things like that. Um, and so I get that sometimes you can just get stuck and not be able to find your words, mm -hmm. and then a line reading can like slip out. I find it especially in animation, in in a audio, oh yeah, in an audio the, booth. Yes. Sometimes they'll be like, um, like a little bit more heated, and find, sometimes I will just say, just line read me, like I, yeah, yeah. I'll do whatever you want. I'm yeah. just, I'm just, I'm, we're just not getting there, so just do it. And they'll be like, that's what I said, and you, and then you go. 
that's what I said. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so but that's different because... Totally different. Yeah. Totally different. It's, yeah, I, and it's I've just offered the... Same. And I, yeah, it doesn't bother me in the voice world right. now that you say that. It's different in, in an it's audio different. booth. But I think it's when people don't understand emotions. <laughs> and then, like, so they're like not fully aware of how to say the word mm-hmm. that connects to the emotion the actor needs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Linda, you don't give line readings. It's great. You don't. Uh, I love that, uh, that you got inside the brain of an actor to, to take classes and stuff. That's really uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I did. I got inside the brain of a stand-up comic and took those classes as well. Melissa, what would be your dream episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine? God, my dream episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yes. My dream episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is an episode that we actually shoot in New York. Ooh. And I don't really care what we do there, (laughs) but it probably involves the Brooklyn Bridge, right? It probably involves, yeah, downtown or like Dumbo and just, yeah, just actually being there. I feel like before the show ends one day or whatever the very last episode of Brooklyn is should be like actually shot in New York. Yeah, in front of your real facade that you guys use yes. as your precinct. Because I actually walked by there. It was so cool. Yeah, I get like Twitter pictures all the time. It's become a bit of a spot. People yeah. take pictures in front of it. Because it's, yeah, I don't want to say it, I guess. But yeah, it it's a real place. It's, it's a, a real place. place. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a real place in, yeah. in, yeah, in Park Slope, right? So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let NBC know. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter, do your thing. Put the pressure on. <laughs> Director Linda Mendoza, writer Marcy Jaro, and Melissa Fumero, what would you recommend to listeners who want to follow your path and work as a director, writer, or actor? You know, it's such an interesting question these days because there's so many different avenues now for people to do it. Um, you know, in the old days, it was like finding a director that you hook up with and then they kind of take you along. Um, to sh- over the shoulder and shadow, like to just yeah, be on set and just, see how it goes? Well, like the director that I worked for uh, for 13 years as his supervisor and then AD, like he gave me directing opportunities um, early on, and, you know, one here or there. Um, but honestly, I would say that it's the programs are really good these days, like Sony, ABC, Disney, NBC. Everybody has directing programs now. Yeah, and they're really good about making placements. Uh, I didn't have that when I was coming up, but that's one way that really works. And unfortunately for that, you just need to have something to show them. So you go out, you do your own little short Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, And, you know, and also too, uh, what, kind of really annoys me about the young people these days. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just want to come out and be a director. Sure, Nobody on. wants to pay their dues anymore. Oh, yeah. And you learn so much paying your dues. For sure. I mean, I am still learning on every job I go to. I still learn something new, some new way of doing something, a new way a performer wants to work or whatever. And I think that that's really a problem mm-hmm. that nobody knows how to pay their dues. The instant gratification of going like, um, I'd like to be uh, rich and famous, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the social media stuff where kids see it happening. Like That's true, yeah. Like you the know, YouTube they, generation. Yeah, they have should, a different yeah. perspective. You know, it's like their perspective is completely different than what I had growing up. What um, I think is wonderful about what you're saying is that uh, the creation of something 
of, of your own is possible. We all have movie studios in our pockets right now. You know, you can make a short, like get with your friends and write something, make it 30 seconds and, yeah. and shoot a 30 second action movie or a 30 second romantic comedy or whatever. Whatever it edit is, it, exactly. music, like it's all so Just possible. so they can see that you can tell a story mm-hmm. and you can make it be interesting in, you know, three minutes or you understand a character arc in whatever that time is. I think the same for writers too, because it's, there's so many writers out there and they're really plugging away. And I was always a little afraid to write. It was just my improv background made me scared to commit. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be an actor too. So I was like, let me write something for me to star in. And then I made a short film. And I feel like that actually helped me get so much attention. Uh, and it was a thing I could literally just send to someone. Because sometimes a script doesn't really jump off the page. Mm-hmm. But when you're like, I have the whole vision and I and like made it, then like people understand what what your senses are a little better. Yeah. And I made mine too long. So if you make a short film, make it eight minutes or less. What was yours? It was called Relationship Goals. And how long was it? 25 minutes long. Longer Girl, than an long episode of television. I'm not a good editor. So. They call that, it's hard to kill your darlings, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's tough. Uh, Melissa, what would you say to somebody that was interested in in becoming an actor? Oh, um, my advice is always class, 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 mm-hmm. class. Get into class. Um, find the things that work for you. Find your, you know, your craft. Um, or your. I like to think of it more as like a toolbox. Mm. Um. Because there's so many different techniques out there, but and they're all good, and it's just finding the one that connects to you and and brings what you have to offer out um and yours is line readings is that and mine is line readings (laughs) (laughs) attention all directors (laughs) who come to direct me in the future um (laughs) and uh and you also similarly i think find a lot of community you never know who in your acting class is going to write a movie or direct something or, you know, um, you form a lot of like great relationships. Some of my closest friends still are people I met in acting class. Mm -hmm. Um, and then nowadays I think it's different from, it's different from when I first started, Mm -hmm. um, in that you, I think have to make your own stuff. Even if you're an actor, you know, if you don't write, find a buddy who does and get together and make a thing, you know, um, it seems to be, and then just grind and like, you know, go to every audition you can until you have representation, you know, find a way to like hack those casting calls online and, um, and do little theater gigs and just try to get like as much experience on your feet as possible. And, you know, and then hopefully somebody sees you and somebody likes you and things like sort of, um, cascade from there. But yeah, it's really, I think so many people think that acting is like you get your big break. And for most of us, it's like climbing a ladder. For sure. You know? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was very lucky that I booked the soap opera like right out of school, which was just like a lucky, I, I met an agent at school and they brought me in and then, or actually, no, that wasn't even what happened. It was um, a casting director from the soap opera came to my school. Oh, wow. And I had just screen tested for another soap opera and I like mentioned it to her. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had like 
the good idea to be like, by the way, <laughs> I just screen tested. Um, and then they brought me in for one life. And and then from there, like they happened to have this role and I ended up screen testing. And I ended up getting it. But then after one life, it was like five and a half years between one life and Brooklyn mm-hmm. where it just. Which is not uncommon. It's, it's not uncommon at all. Just <clears throat> grinded, like yeah. just took whatever jobs I could get. And yeah. So it's never, it's a, more of like a, a, a wavy line yeah. Yeah. a lot of the times. I was told that once that the more ups and downs you have in your career, the longer your career is. Mm. Ooh, great. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Joel McKinnon-Miller and Dirk Blocker, what are your memories of Hitchcock and Scully's fight scenes? Penis Punch 69 was mm. really one of my favorite things. It <laughs> was a lot of fun to shoot as well as, uh, it, and it came across, I thought, really well. Uh, I just, I just remember everybody was in tears. They were laughing so hard at the two of us uh, yeah, yeah. when we'd get up off the floor, yeah. and um, yeah. we both had, were wearing athletic supporters with cups in them just to make sure, you know, <laughs> that there was no live fire, friendly fire. Yeah, accidents. there was no uh, no, no accidents. No, no Norm, accidents. Norm uh, Howell. No Norm Howell is our stunt coordinator, and he. Uh, he does. He does a, did a great job of choreographing everything, so there was no no danger. Mm-hmm. And uh, the throwing of bodies across tables and so forth, believe it or not, actually was not Joel or I either one. They were stunt people. So. And then through the window, I think I oh, my character right. originally th- I threw you through the break, right. the break room window, that's and that right. was a a, a stunt uh, that was stunt just, person. I yeah. think I think it was decided that maybe that was just. One bridge too far, maybe, because I don't think that didn't make it in the film, did it, or the show, did it? I can't remember. We've broken a lot of windows. Well, yeah. And we're revealing that, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm remember. not sure if that one made it in. Well, I threw, I threw, it shows me th- yes. throwing you across the desk. Right. That was that, a, That's in there, yeah. That was a stunt person that did yeah. that. Right. You and jumped through a window, too. Right. I going after your twin in Cinco de Mayo. Going yeah. after, yes, going after my twin. Earl. That's another yeah. uh, Joel-heavy uh, performance against himself. Yeah, that was yeah. great. That was fun because you had to chase a double of you and be chased by a double of you about like, I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. You made this hilarious runner and it, we had to shoot it 40 times. Like, yeah. we shot it a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And the subtle thing you did with your voice, too, just so there was just enough of a differentiation. Yeah, just yeah. raise it up just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Girls a little, put on a pair of glasses. Girls a little dorkier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Stephanie, what do you think of a potential Rosa-Gina romance? You know, what's so interesting is that before we decided collectively that Rosa was queer, I would do things as we were shooting that were... Rosa being charmed by Ooh. Gina. So there's like, if you look back in some of the episodes, like body language wise, a yeah. lot of times I'll have like my armor on the back of a couch that she's sitting on, or we're very close to each other, like in, in each other's physical space. Interesting. And then there's that great line where she's like, in another life, you and I could have been a great couple. You just sounded like Chelsea Peretti just Did now. I really? <laughs> yeah. Like Did you, you just chant. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think it would have been great. Um, and you know, sadly, Chelsea is 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 not a regular on the show anymore. But it doesn't mean she couldn't come back. But I think like I I, I don't I don't know how y'all would frame it as writers because I think she's that character's gone through so many journeys, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's been. Busy. I'm not sure if it would feel like you were pandering. I don't know. I don't. It's know a thing answer. we've talked about. I mean, I love it. To some degree, it would be easier now that she's. Not a regular on the show because yeah. part of the problem of 
was having relationships having between couples, you know claustrophobic yeah. well, but yeah. also just like any any relationship between and co-workers is like that has to resonate out for yeah. like the rest of time we had to sort of honor the charles gina relationship for her entire time on the show you know because you can't just like That's whereas kind of- Jake dates Eva Longoria and then she's gone and you just don't right. really have to mention it again, you know? <laughs> right, right. And so, but now that 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 Chelsea isn't a regular, but we but it's still part of the world, it would be easier to do. And I've, it is something we talked about. We tried to sneak it in so hard on her last episode. Yeah, I know. We, <laughs> we did so many alts that we were like basically writing ourselves on set. We were like, what about this? What about this? Like trying to allude to the fact there was that one we slept in a, together. Yeah, really? There was a, there was. Did one make I, it? One made it into a cut. I directed that episode and I put it into a cut. The, uh, uh, yeah, God bless you. Luke. An illusion that it had happened, but then it never it came out. Which yeah. probably for a time. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Most things that come out on the show come out for time because yeah, they, they just, shoot long and sure. yeah, cut tight. And we want to. I blame Jason Manzukis for just riffing and riffing. Yeah, <laughs> standing into episodes that he's not even in. <laughs> yeah, but I would. I 100 percent would be a fan of. I think the kids call it Dianetti. Dianetti, it's already there. Kids call it Dianetti. A question for Dan Gore and Luke Del Tredici. What character would get their own spinoff? Look, I also think there's a world, I I still think Pimento could have his own show. I know we we shouldn't talk about this on air because... Oh, I mean, save it as a... Don't you think it would be... Go right ahead. I think like an HBO kind of premium (laughs) cable streaming show of Pimento that really gets into his demons is still funny, but is really, like, really starkly real. Well, both are funny. The, oh, the version like, where Pimento is, like, it's set in Colombia and he's in the jungle or whatever is funny. And also the version where he lives in Tempe and mm-hmm. is, like, trying to work as a teacher or something is also... Sure. Why or choose the, one? I think yeah. we, also, we also talked about, like, the when we were doing the episode... Where Pimento has he's left the force and is now a private investigator. Yeah, yeah. that like like Pimento as like a Rockford Files Columbo style. I think the words you're but, looking for are Pimento for hire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There oh. you go. That's it. That to me is like that's a very funny show. You know, like because yeah. again, this gets back to like that's that show that episode the episode where Pimento does cocaine in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and and has the line the series of lines where Pimento says, and this is a, this is a series of lines that I just don't think any other character on Brooklyn Nine Nine would ever say, which is, "Who are we killing? I don't kill kids unless the kid is a dick." <laughs> you know, like the idea that Pimento would kill a child if the child was a dick <laughs> is insane. Uh, the the I mean. That's one of those things where when you're in post, it's like, oh, why can't we put in every version of every improv that Jason did? I mean, yeah. there were so many. It was so funny. You were so funny when you were on Coke, standing oh, yeah. on the island next to the knife. It's so funny. Well, that was when, yeah. And that was like, okay, so like that's because sometimes we talk about like what is improvised, what is not improvised, stuff like that. And like that scene where it starts to become like Pimento's high on Coke, like one of it didn't occur until the very end of shooting those um, beats that I realized there was a knife block on the counter. <laughs> and so then it became pull knives out of it and go, oh, watch, I'm going to juggle, you know. <laughs> um, and those are moments of discovery that I really love, yeah. you know, and that I feel like is really wonderful because the show is written so well and so funny. But then there are those moments where you can just punch in and be like, oh, wait a minute. 
because of they've set, they've dressed the set this way, there's another joke that's available to us. Yeah, uh, there's more danger that's available to us. Correct <laughs> is how I hear exactly. You. A question for co-executive producer and writer Justin Noble: What is a day like in the writers' room? Is it an eight-hour day? I would say it's usually around a ten-hour day, but it really does depend on what we're doing. Uh, you know, if there's a table read the next day, uh, you know, we leave at question mark because we can't leave until the script is done, until we're all happy with it and ready to table it with the cast in the morning. Um, but I would say every day is the same and that it starts with a 45 minute game to decide where we go for lunch. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then we break to work. You know, we get a, a story room going to crack a story and a rewrite room to go in. A, How many writers script. total? Uh, it varies year to year, but since my time over the last five years, I'd say the magic number is somewhere around 11 to 12. Mm-hmm. Which is fairly typical, I think, Very for a, a network half hour, right? Yes. Um, and so when you split into uh, these these breakdowns that you're talking about, that's six and six usually, that kind of thing? Yeah, pretty much. It, it also still depends on where we need to allocate the resources. You know, are we... Uh, sometimes we'll break into three rooms and have like, you know, three groups of four. Like we can really spread it around based on what we need to accomplish. And it's a juggling you, act. Do you go to lunch together or do you order in from a place? We order in from a place. Okay. Yeah. There's a very complicated system. There's, I think, a Vulture article out there about it. About, there is. Yeah. About assistants having yeah. to pick up the slack. Uh-oh. Is that the one? You- <laughs> well, no, 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 not oh. that one. We have a we have a Price is Right style wheel that this other uh, writer, Lang Fisher, <laughs> I and I uh, created this system where we uh, spin a wheel and there's a bunch of lunch options on the wheel. And then if you don't like what it lands on, you can pay a dollar into a veto pot to veto it. And then you have the right to spin again. But then the next person would pay $2 and it goes up exponentially every time a veto is made. And then there's one sliver that says win veto pot. So actually, we just ended the writer's room uh, and we ended with about 300 and something dollars in the veto pot. So we just had a spin off to see who would go home with the money. (laughs) Wow. And the winner was executive producer and creator Dan Gore. No! <laughs> the system is yeah, rigged. He, he, the you know, system is rigged. He took that money and he, he bought a treat for the room. <laughs> oh, that was yeah, great. Of course. Rick Page, how did you shoot Amy's FaceTime call in the episode Ticking Clocks when she runs out of the dentist office? Yeah, that was actually, it was um, it was uh, uh, like a Moza rig. It's for an iPhone. It's, it's oh. stable. It's a little it's stabilized. Like a is but she was, holding, she was holding. She was holding it, right? She was holding it. It's like a little stabilization gimbal okay. for iPhones. Oh, okay. So it was um, iPhone quality. Yeah, we shot it on, on not on an iPhone, but on a digital. This feels phone. like an impromptu ad. Nope, because <laughs> you just went. But it is for iPhone. But it is for. It has that kind of quality, iPhone? and it's just well, for iPhone. Was it the iPhone 11 available now for only a thousand dollars a month? <laughs> the trick was we like, like like we knew we needed that look, and 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 a bigger camera would be. Right. Not that look. It would be too smooth, too steady. But we didn't want to just do it normal because that would be way too much vibration and would look like crap. Sure. So we came up with this and and, and it worked quite well. When you get in the cab, is it also? Or is That's that it. A, yeah, the same whole thing, thing the oh, whole run. Oh, it looks very yeah. good. And, and, and uh, Melissa was great because she understood exactly what, you know, she was a quick little tutorial. There there actually was some operation in that and she, she was great. I understand the Mozart rig is incredibly easy to operate. Dan and Luke, how did Sterling K. Brown come to be cast on the show? Uh, this, I, I feel like I will take some credit. I think I thought that he'd be good for this. He, um, he, had, he had given his Emmy acceptance speech. In his Emmy acceptance speech, he had thanked 
Andre Brower. He had pointed out that he had followed the same path as Andre from Stanford to Juilliard and then winning an Emmy. And he'd gone out of his way to mention him. And I think he had said, he had said it in such a way that it was clear. He, no, just, just that. that. That was all that, that he had said. And then we reached out to him. He and I go to the same gym, have exactly the same body. Not the point, but uh, we reached out is to him. Is the gym part real? The gym part is real. Okay. Yeah. You I know say we can't gym. tell, right? I mean, no and one And I'm can in s- a room with you. Listeners to this will have no idea. But, well, whatever. It's neither here nor there that I go to a gym and look great. <laughs> but, so we reached out to him and he was very enthusiastic. Then he came to do the episode and it was a lot of time with him and with Andy and Andy and, and Andre. And Andy was very... Um, excited to work with Sterling and was really like really more actory than usual. And it was, I think that this often happens with uh, actors when, when sort of a big actor comes on. And then when Sterling actually got there, he was such a fan of Brooklyn and he was just quoting lines. He has a son who I think, who he watches with, I yeah. believe, who yeah. likes the show. But he and his wife too. I, I yeah. met his wife who's wonderful and they, she was also a fan and he was like just quoting lines at Andy and I think it was really disarming in a wonderful way. And Andy, it was great. That's got to feel good. Does that feel good for all of you? Yeah, like, it was great. I I love that Lin Manuel Miranda showed up and knew Amy Santiago's dance moves. Like, yeah, that's incredible. It's, it's really great. And even like we were just talking about ticking clocks when Sean Astin showed up, he walked all the way across, you know, through the stage doors, all the way across the precinct in, into Holt's office, and he goes, "I can't believe I just walked through the nine nine. It was wow. really kind of sweet because he was such a fan. Yeah. Of, of all of our work. And it was like, but you're Rudy. And like, it was just kind of crazy. <laughs> but to answer the question, yeah, we knew. I think when we were writing that, we were, I, I don't think we had booked him, but we were expecting it to be Sterling. And so we we were writing with, yeah. it, with him in mind. And you always, you know, in TV like this, you always have to allow for the possibility that schedules won't work out and the person will fall through and you'll have to. to yeah, it can be dangerous to do that. But then we lucked out and we, we yeah. I mean, you can really write it specifically for somebody and then, they can drop out, and then you're you have to rewrite, do a tremendous amount of rewriting. But this was yeah, but we knew it was, was we knew it was going to be him, which which gave us a lot of faith to because that's there's a lot on that that role. A lot of the episode hinges on that person being really good and being able to also just you know as as Andy is terrific, but also like you know uh, it's hard to be in a scene with Andre. Andre is such a like powerhouse of a performer, and that with him yeah. not in his like totally silly comedy mode, but in like that's the closest to real dramatic acting over a long period of time we've given Andre and you need someone you need someone with some like gravitas to, to but be also able to he was so he's so magnetic him. and so likable Sterling that I mean we made him a murderer mm-hmm. and he's just you you just can't stop you like him so much you can't stop watching him I mean just the way he walks into the precinct and goes to see Gina um He's, I, I wrote more than once in my notes, Sterling King, Sterling K. Brown is very cool. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just the way he, you know, sits and carries himself. He's very high status and throughout, even though Jake has prepped the room, he's made the table sticky, he took a leg off one, you know, foot off one of the chairs. He turned up the heat. He, he made him talk to Gina first. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's an episode, the rest of the cast is off pretty much, right? I, yeah. We yeah. had originally... We shoot them? No, we never shot them. We wrote and we table read, but didn't. There was a because we didn't want to eliminate our, our the rest of our cast who we love and we always want to take advantage of. When we table read that episode, we had sort of a joke, which was you were constantly seeing 
Charles and Amy and Rosa like running in and with the idea that like very interesting B stories were happening on the <laughs> margins and you were just getting these tiny little tastes. And they were like, they were sort of absurd B stories that we've pitched in the room and have decided were too silly or stupid or, or, or expensive or That's impossible. Yeah. And we read it and it seemed like a very funny idea. And we just decided it was like, it was distracting. Like the fun of the episode was that it was this one story and that it was laser focused on this one thing. And every time they came in in the table, it didn't really work. And we just ended up cutting them and giving all those people a, a week off. But you settled for leaving in bear semen. Alexis Jacks, are the officers' uniforms NYPD accurate? The officers are a little more straightforward. It gets a little tricky when we start talking about uh, different ranks, and then we do these SWAT teams, and then the SWAT teams are from different places, and we have to make sure that they're the right colors. And oddly enough, it's not that easy to find reference material all the time. And Mm. sometimes when you're looking online for reference material, you just find other shows' reference material. (laughs) Right. And so you don't know if you're imitating art or you're imitating life when you're (laughs) trying to be accurate. So we we have a technical advisor that is really helpful, Ian, and he frequently will send us some stuff that he has either on file from his guys in New York or, you know, we were in Florida um, last week and, you know, Florida SWAT. Miami SWAT, yeah. so he's helpful. When you say stuff. we were in Florida, you mean the show took place in Florida. Yes. Right. You weren't all on planes recently. No. Okay. <laughs> but that is where all three of us will really work hand in hand, yes. whether it's us getting the logo to these guys right. and then the colors and then you getting all and the sharing pieces. our research. Yeah. Know. Oh, so yeah. that's right. So you would make the patches and things, wouldn't you? Well, we'll make the design and design. we'll send them to them yeah. and they'll okay. make the patches. Yeah, wow. they don't, the network doesn't always like us using uh, actual patches they prefer us to make something similar one away from the actual so the art department and the graphic designer will create the patch and then send to us and we'll make the patch yeah we all work together yeah what is automated dialogue replacement or adr and how is it used on the show so when we're editing if we make a change and we need to add a line let's say we need to clarify a plot point so we need charles to say um those footprints look like the killer's footprints. So what what we'll do is like, we might be on Jake and you'll hear Charles speaking and we'll try to tie it to a line that he already has. So when we cut back to him, he's saying it. But it allows us after the fact to change stuff. Everyone understands what I'm talking about. But I do all the male voices Mm -hmm. in editing. And so... And I occasionally do the female voices if we don't have a female editor around or because uh, or, oftentimes it's just my my editor, Courtney, and I late at night, just the two of us. I love when I go into ADR and hear Dan doing any imp- impression of Boyle or do a line for Boyle because I just picture Dan, I picture him saying it in front of the mic yeah. with, with a lot of angst and emotion and it makes me smile and laugh. I'm glad and you it, like it. Yeah. Because every now and then Tara will be like, is that what he thinks I should say? Like, well, well, I think that too sometimes, right. but I enjoy the idea of you because the heart is already, already always there. You can hear yeah. it in the voice. Like you want the line to work. I would do Gina a lot. I would do Chelsea a lot. Mm -hmm. And I worked with Chelsea before working with Chelsea here. She was a writer on Parks. And so I would do what I thought of as a real great Gina (laughs) line. And then she would legit, sometimes legit be insulted (laughs) that she's like, it was just, I won't do an impression of her, but she's like, it it kills me that you think that's what I sound like. <laughs> and I'm like, I think you're I think she's one of the like five funniest human beings in the world. Sure. So I'm like, in my mind, you're yeah. so funny doing this. But. Will you do your impression of me, please? <clears throat> Hello, Raymond. There it is. 
It's good. It's so it's really good. good. It's really good. He does it sometimes yeah. in the room, but then he'll go in and out. Like yeah. he'll he'll it's be like, my, I lost it. I lost it's it. My touch I it. It's my touchdown. It's my touchdown. Yeah. Hello, Raymond. Raymond. It's Raymond. Really <laughs> I feel like with boy, you just have to raise your eyebrows. So if I'm like, mm. Jake, Jake, if you just like you can't see it, but like <laughs> you, my eye, if you raise your eyebrows, you, you you automatically your voice goes up, and you can do a pretty good boil. You're raising that's the eyebrows. Gym, that's just oh, a your throat. Yeah, Jake. listeners, Jake. 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 I mean, uh, the other interesting thing is, <laughs> the other interesting thing is like, you'll write a joke and you'll think there's only one way to say this joke, mm-hmm. and sometimes the actor will say it that way and it'll be super funny, and then sometimes they'll do something completely different, and it's better, and sometimes it's worse, but most of the time it's better because they're bringing something that's bring, they're bringing their character to it. Yeah. So my only fear when we do ADR is that like. It's too, but I, I mean, you don't just imitate what I'm doing, but that it's too proscriptive or something. Right, right. Well, I think I, I, I've never found that to be a, a problem. I, you, you know, I kind of break it down like, oh, there's a the joke, and then, right. You know, usually what we're doing is we're cutting something for time, and then we're the ADR is just a bridge. Like Mary Mark literally came in, and you said you you drove all the way here, and you did how many how many what did, exactly did you do in ADR? They uh, for an upcoming episode of season seven. Spoiler, Kevin. Um, uh, they needed one word. The word was well. Yeah. It was a thing that somebody says, "What happened?" Well, and I said, "Well." Well, that's all that, and I did three, and they're like, cool, thanks. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing I'm most proud of all right. when it comes to being in front of a microphone. Your LSAT editing. score. LSAT <laughs> uh, <also> score <laughs> was, was phenomenal. Guys, was, do you remember at the Boyle Farm in the 99th episode, you guys are lying there and you're all sleeping. I think mm-hmm. the actors famously all fell asleep. I remember this. And in the background, there are cows loudly making love. Yes, I do. <laughs> I I remember am this now. Yes, the cow sounds. You I, are. Yeah, may, I, w- may we I hear did that? all. Of, I don't know, but it, think, I'm backing Ray, away from Ray. Ray. I think it was like <laughs> that was you. That was like Were that. you guessing, or was that? Something you'd heard before, because <laughs> I don't know that you I would be able silence? to approximate off the top of my head what a cow Not making love might sound like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I'm constantly. You Googling. were remembering your, your, your <laughs> silence, of, your silence of the cows moment. That I'm, you have back, no, I'm remembering my greatest dreams. <laughs> Dan Gore, what is the story behind "Not a Doctor" at the end of the show? The story is a dark one. There was an accident. And I no, I was just going to tell the story where I <laughs> provided medical care and I was not a doctor. No, I, um, I was a biochemistry major in college. Okay. Uh, and I was enrolled in medical school. And two weeks before medical school began, I uh, got hired as a writer on The Daily Show. And so I ditched medical school. But I still would frequently speak about medical issues with my friends. And so it was people being like, you're not a doctor. <laughs> and I'm, me being like, shh. Oh, wow. Thing. I mean, not literally, but I mean, that, yes, that's the gist. Almost a doctor? Maybe it should have been almost a doctor. No, nope, it's too about? late to reread it. What <laughs> medical school were you enrolled in? Uh, Columbia Physicians and Surgeons. Columbia Medical School. That's dicky to say, Physicians and Surgeons. That's what it's called. Columbia Medical School. Will we ever get new bloopers? Well, it's hard. Our, I don't think our actors have ever fumbled a line. <laughs> that's true. We were 
utterly perfect for <laughs> seven years. So no, we've done I mean, one uh, season has been released. Okay, um, like we've done gag reels that are for the casting for the crew. Sure, Fox wouldn't allow us to release them. NBC has allowed us to release them, but we have to go back and re-edit them because really the audience was for. The cast and crew for a rap and, party. And for of. a rap party, there's not something on YouTube now. I feel like I there is there's season one only. Though. Yeah, okay. Um, but that, that is something that I could see happening. Just know that there is a burning interest in seeing your deleted scenes. <laughs> yeah, imagine how good the real scenes are. Yeah. <laughs>